I'm Carrie Fountain, and this is Just to Say, where we talk to poets about the poems they make and the poems they love. Poetry springs forth from authentic human voice. Poetry is about anarchy. It's about mystery. It's about dreams. It's about you know the unknown. Writing is a way of saying that you and the world have a chance. Frankenstein Love. I think there was a movie once where Frankenstein fell in love with a vampire. A small mummy at first interfered, but later provided the requisite necessary clarifications. He can only meet you at night. Her face is scarred in a permanent expression of doom, but her bolt glows whenever she sees you. The rival for the vampire's affections was a vaguely feminine zombie. Frankenstein felt not very mysterious. Many different feelings cycled below whoever's skin she had been given. Did they even belong to her? In the many pages of the Book of Love, this is only one story, but everyone goes through it once. The main question is, will you be the one unable to control your temper, sewed together as you are from the past, or the one who always ends up turning away in search of another likeness? I know you just spent a really long time writing a book about poetry, and it's a book sort of a lot about reading and experiencing poetry, but it is also about writing, the experience of writing poetry. What mm-hmm. do you do to sort of, as a person, what do you do to sort of make that happen? This particular poem, actually, uh, I about, well, over 10 years ago, I met a guy, um, it was after a reading, and we, I just sat down next to this guy, and he was really interesting, and I started talking to him. And it turned out he was a painter, and his name is Chris Uphughes. And we started talking, and I eventually did some collaborations with him. And the collaborations mainly involved him sending me these digital um, you know, reproductions of these incredible paintings he does. And one of the paintings is called Frankenstein Love. Mm. And, I, and I, they, they, the paintings are very involved, and they have these little stories. kind of They look like digital cartoons, but they're actually all hand-painted. And anyway, so there's this story that kind of looks like this Frankenstein-y, monstery figure with this other monstery figure, and it sort of looks like maybe they're thinking about going on a date or something. And so uh, I just got this little idea and started going with it from the painting. So in that way, it's an... What is that word? Ekphrastic. Ekphrastic. Yeah, I guess you could say it's ekphrastic. I mean, it's pretty loosely ekphrastic. And I mean, I think that, you know, I could have described something or talk about something and then it would go nowhere. But Mm -hmm. in this case, I think it pretty quickly um, felt emblematic of a kind of psychic reality that we all feel. And there's this one line in the poem that always embarrasses me when I read it. In the many pages of the Book of Love, this is only one story. I mean, it's so close to being a complete cheese ball, like greeting card language. But it just seemed like also in the poem I was getting, I wanted to, or I felt like I was getting very close to some kind of, you know, primal experience that we have in relationships. And that seemed to be the time to talk in almost this kind of more general way. And I, I always feel embarrassed when I read it because I feel like people are going to think it's like cliche or something. And maybe it is, but it just felt like the right thing to say at that moment. 
That's so funny that you should say that because when you said there's a line that I, I just, I knew exactly which line you were going to say, <laughs> yeah, but it's also, well, it's also the line in the poem where, you know, you're like bopping along. It's funny, you know, it's sort of very mm, engaging. Yeah. It's like, it has this conversational sense to it. Like, wait, you know, we're just, I'm talking about this movie, isn't it? And then there was this, there was like this little mummy who, you know, it's like you're telling the story of a movie <laughs> and then all of a sudden mm. it does take this sort of turn. You know, in the many yeah, well, pages think... of the Book of Love, there this is only one story, which is so absolutely true. And then from there, I think it really just sharply turns. And you know, I just I'm I'm thinking of um, last night. You know, I I have been having my husband, who is not a poet, but he's a playwright, and he's a great appreciator of poetry. And I, you know, I was reading all of your poems. I really wanted to do April Snow. That's like one of my very favorite poems ever in the whole world. Um, But I said, you know, we've decided on this poem. Will you read it? And I had the experience of sort of handing it to him and then watching him like read it. And I just knew when he had gotten to the end or toward the end, you know, in those two lines, you know, the main question is, will you be the one unable to control your temper, sewed together as you are from the past, or the one who always ends up turning away in search of another likeness? And it's like my husband's such a great reader of poetry because you can see him experience the poem. So like mm-hmm. he just like the just like suddenly tears, you know, he was like, oh, my God, uh-huh. that poem. It, it draws you in by its kind of like funny conversational tone. And then, you know, it's sort of like this emotional mic drop at the end. Well, I know you know this as a poet because it's true in your own work, but I think there is a point in every poem where you have to make yourself genuinely vulnerable. I mean, not pretend vulnerable, like like saying it, but like actually in the language or in the movement of the poem, you have to go deeper somehow. In this case, I really do think it was being willing to get very close to some kind of sentimentality, um, which is something that I think a lot of poets are so afraid of you know, or they're afraid of being accused of being like, you know, like I said before, cliched or something, but I just felt like I needed to not be like so funny and not that I'm so funny, but I mean, (laughs) I was being kind of like jokey in the poem. And it's like, if I kept going on that way, it just, nothing would happen. And it would just stay on the surface and that somehow you need to just dive deeper in. I mean, a lot of this book was written not too long after the death of my father and also at the beginning of a new relationship with the person who is now my wife and with whom I now have a child. So there was a lot of thinking going on. There's more thinking going on in this poem, I think, about what it means to really start to get deeper in a relationship and when those things start to come out in yourself that are so unpleasant and, 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 and deep about you know, your nature and how you, you and your partner have to just start to come to terms with it or, 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 or part ways. Right. You know? Yeah, I spend a lot of time, like, thinking about how to talk to you about this poem, and I kept thinking, like, it's a love poem. This is a love poem. Mm-hmm. But then I would think, wait, this isn't a freaking love poem. Like, really, it's <laughs> like in the end, it's like, which one are you going to be? Like, the miserable one or the more miserable <laughs> one, you know? Um, yeah, but- well, I mean, but that is sort of how a marriage is, right? right. I mean, you, you're, you're going to be, I mean, if you're going to have a real marriage, I mean, you are going to be, you know, you're going to be your not so great self. I mean, everybody knows that's true. And I think that my wife loves this poem. Right. Um, and she, I think it's funny because it's not, you know, one of those poems where I extol her many virtues, um, which would be easy poems to write. But but um, in this case, it's more about the difficulties. And I think that, that she likes 
the reality of that in our in our relationship and you know it's 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 uh i mean i think anyone who's in a longer marriage knows this yeah that's one of the things that i think is really surprising and so enticing about this poem because I don't know if you've read this essay that was written a few years ago, and I think it was like kind of controversial or whatever, but I thought this line from it, it was a poem, it was an essay by the poet Tony Hoagland. I can't remember what it was called, but it was about sort of like the sort of different approaches to poetry. And he just says something in um, this essay. He talks about the difference between the gong of recognition in a poem versus the mm-hmm. bong of disorientation. And in some ways, I think this poem mm-hmm. kind of starts in that like, you know, area of like, wait, what's going on in this poem? Like, I'm gonna, I'm never gonna, I'm, I would never stop mm. reading it, but it's not like it doesn't, it doesn't begin by announcing itself. Like, just wait in seven lines, I'm going to render some very substantial meaning about the nature of love, you know? And, but then it sort of swings <laughs> into that, you know, it's sort of that's one of the surprises is that you do end up in the, at the end of the poem with this sort of, ooh, like it's like an oof, you know, like, Yes, I understand that, yeah. even if I don't kind of... Well, I think when you're writing, I mean, I think you just have to do it over and over and over again, and most, many or most attempts are not going to result in something. But I think you just train, I just train myself to just try to look for those opportunities to go deeper, like I said, into the my own psychic reality and the and the common psychic reality of our species, as much as you can talk about that. I mean, of course, we all have so many differences, but but we're all humans. And so um, I, uh, I'm looking for those moments and sometimes they don't appear. Sometimes I miss them or I go the wrong way or something, but you know, and then those poems, nobody ever sees them. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, so I, I just try to, you know, I, but yeah, that is what I'm looking for. I mean, the, the, the gong of recognition. I mean, that's, that's, that's really good. And mm-hmm. I would, I would agree that, that, you know, but you can only find it in yourself. You know, you have to find it in yourself first as a writer, and then hope that it will resonate elsewhere. Right. In that poem, I think it's your poem, is it called, do you have a poem in this collection called The Pocket? Is that what it's called? Or is it just called Pocket? It's just called Pocket. Pocket. And the, there's those great lines in that uh, poem of like, you know, I will, I will stand in an actual stance of mystery and not knowing toward the world, which is my job, right? <laughs> you know, I think that some people think that poet, poets are, are there to render meaning, but really poets are there to sort of stand facing the unknown and kind of approach it, you know, and, and not know where you're going. And to you discover know? meaning. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah, but then, but in the interest of discovery, I mean, I think that, you know, it's not the same. I think one of the things that happens is, is that people, they think if you're not, you know, they think, oh, you should know what you're going to say more or less. And then you're using a piece of writing to communicate it. That's not really how poetry works. Right. But it just, be, if that's, Poetry finds, discovers meaning, but to, but to say that isn't to say that poetry doesn't mean anything at all. Right. That's ridiculous. Right. Any, any poem that anybody loves or cares about is full of immense amounts of meaning. It's just the kind of meaning that you only find if you go on a genuine voyage of discovery, to use a, another cliche. Mm. Um, but it's not, I don't think that most poets sit and think, you know, I know exactly what I'm going to do and now I'm just going to enact it in language. That's just not... That's just not how poetry seems to work or what it's for, in my experience, both as a writer and a reader. Do you think that in your experience as a teacher and sort of per, a poet in the public that, that many people think of, think of poets as doing that? That are sort of like they know where they're headed and 
it'll sort of go confidently. Yeah, and I well, I think that they're confused. I think that they're confused because I think that they think that's how writing works. They've been led to expect that that's how writing works with good reason. I think I think there's a, I think there's a reason for that because that's how most writing does work, more or less. Mm-hmm. But but poetry is different. It's it takes the material this material of language that's so often used in one way and sort of torques it or, or tweaks it or, or disrupts it or blurs it or, or, or turns it inside out or just uses it for something else. Those are all metaphors, right? They don't mm-hmm. really explain what we do as poets. Mm-hmm. But so, that, so I think people can feel that transmission from the poet, but they don't trust it because they've been used to listening, listening for other things in language and, and being told to do other things with language. So there's a kind of uh, wound in, in many readers and, and the purpose of when I wrote why, why poetry really my goal was to try to try to you know go some way towards like healing that wound a little bit mm-hmm. that people feel that 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 disconnect between what they know in their in themselves about poetry which is that they might have fallen in love with one or a few poems and then all this other information that they have about language that seems to contradict what it can do so I, I was just trying to bridge that and in, in, mm-hmm. in, in the prose book Mm-hmm. You know, and also in the poems too. And isn't so much of that that comes? It's sort of like like everyone involved in the crime or the wound <laughs> inflicting is kind of innocent in their own way because like right so much mm-hmm. of that comes from the way we are taught poetry which is by like you know English teachers who would probably love to spend a lot of time talking about the mysteries of language mm-hmm. but how am I going to uh, you know give a quiz over this poem and make sure that my students read it right. you know like a, the, a poem is there to right. go and take the meaning out of and every poem has a meaning has a like a you know a testable meaning that you could like put on a test you know or and you see this has happened again and again they they keep doing these especially in texas because there's all of this testing that is like developed in texas where Mm -hmm. and this has happened to naomi shiabnai they did this with her a couple of years ago where she Mm -hmm. uh it was an essay that she'd written you know poet writing an essay Mm -hmm. they put it in a test and then they gave her the questions that were on the test Mm -hmm. and she failed to answer the questions about her own essay correctly (laughs) you know i'm sure she did i'm sure i would too yeah i've just started um to meet with some teachers they're teachers who are using my book in classrooms and i'm just starting to meet with them and high school teachers Particularly, I'm so interested in how they teach poetry, given the Common Core and other, uh, you know, exigencies, and to maybe try eventually to find a way to to help the students do well on the test, but not sell poetry down the river mm-hmm. um, along the way. That's that's that that would be a great uh, outcome. I don't know if it's possible, but it's kind of uh, an idea that I have, and so I'm just starting to talk to people. But yeah, I, I don't blame the teachers at all. It's not right. their fault. I mean, mm-hmm. they have so much pressure and. Also, most of them aren't trained, right. you know, to do that. Yeah. In poetry, they're trained in other things. So, so yeah, it's tough. Poetry is about anarchy. It's about mystery. It's about dreams. It's about it's about you know the unknown and contradiction or whatever. It's very hard to give an exam on those things. <laughs> yes, right, exactly, yeah. But there are things that you can sort of approach, and like it's it's really great to like sort of learn about what a poet like like learning the definition of syntax you know you can like wrap your mind around sure. that you could write an essay about what syntax is and giving different examples of how it's working or not working in poetry or voice or diction i know voice is like one that a lot of poets 
for some reason hate the term voice, but diction is definitely like you can define diction and you can talk about it and you can sort of see yeah. by that through that lens what poets are doing you know like one of the things that's really charming about this poem even though you the uh, Frankenstein love even though you enter it mysteriously and exit it mysteriously if you are like willing to read poetry that way you could also just say like is Matthew is a pruder here using like high poetic diction or lo like sort of like low right. diction, like everyday speech. And, you know, and right. then you realize like, oh, well, that's one of the things that's so appealing about this poem is that I like feel like we're at a bar or something and, and, and we're in the, engaged in the conversation. And then that just is, this is one of the little tangential parts right. of our conversation that, you know, the poet has sort of led me down. And again, that, well, I, yeah, yeah, you know, and then that, I think, Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. You go ahead. No, no. You go ahead. I was just going to say that's like one of the reasons why when you the that line that you say you're so worried about, you know, in the many pages of the book of love, this is only one story. The diction really changes there, right? It's sort of like it is more sort of um, <laughs> fairy taleish, maybe or something. Yeah, a little bit yeah. like bedtime story. Yeah, like, yeah, like a almost really... tiny bit like. Polonius a little bit maybe like like wisdom wisdomy but but with a slight you know I don't know goofiness to it like you know yes and it is wise wise goofball and it is a it is like really maybe kind of the first like it is the first uh like this is a metaphor in the poem right yeah like the, right. the pages of the book of love you know um, right. <laughs> yeah right. so. and that's another thing I mean that's a little more old-fashioned technique that I don't probably use as much in yeah. the poems and but I was going to say you were talking about teaching or just I mean I, you know for me I think I, and I've taught you know as, as you have I've taught a, 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 you know different levels of students in different sorts of places graduate students undergraduates high school students all kinds of you know people in the community or whatever and the one common thing I notice is that people have a lot of trouble just sort of staying with the basics of the poem like it's actual words mm -hmm. and what it's actually saying and actually meaning and I think a lot of, if you could put a lot of energy just into, as a teacher, just into refocusing the students into the poem itself mm -hmm. and the words of it and mm -hmm. what's happening word by word, phrase by phrase, line by line. I mean, that's something that I think that poet, that, that, that readers just don't generally like know what to do, you know? Yeah. I mean, so I, 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 I do a lot of, um, you know, work in that area when I'm teaching. Yeah. You know that poem Michiko Dead from Jack Gilbert's yes. Great Fires. Yes. I, I teach love that. Jack Gilbert, I, yeah. yeah, that that book is like such a great book to teach because it's like the uh, language is very accessible, for lack of a better word. Yeah. But I have for taught sure. that poem over and over and over again as an example of like a, a controlling metaphor, right? Like this, the man holding the box. Right. That's all that happens is like a man holds a box and then he moves it around, and like you know, I'll say like, well, what do you think? This is like a, meta, you know, what do you think he's talking? Like, what is it a metaphor for? You know, what's, what is this poem right. about? Like, just that simple of a question. And students will be like, I don't know. I think it's about like, you know, you know, the weight of, you know, mortality or like, you know, the experience of being human. Right. And like, sure. you just they want to go right to the big, huge ideas. And it's yeah. like, read the, what does the title say? The title is ex the, you know, Michiko right. dead. Like Michiko, right. it's not, you know, what is that? Probably probably a name that's probably a name you know so then like oh and then they go oh yeah you know and it's just like that little moment of like oh i that's that's a part right. of the poem it's an important right they don't read the, the title yeah they just they don't read the, the title. title i mean yeah. that's the, the 
I mean, that's what the first, you know, quarter to a third of my book is basically about, which is sort of refocusing people on the literal meaning of the words, but in the interests of getting to a to a deeper, more mysterious place. Not to say, oh, all poetry should just be on the surface or should just be immediately obvious or clear or whatever, but you can't get anywhere if you don't attend to the words and the choices the poets have made. It's it's not, I mean, it's, and any poet knows that Mm -hmm. instinctively, or most Mm -hmm. poets of any caliber know it. Mm -hmm. And like, it's just, but it's readers just don't, you know, they do exactly what you just said. They go straight for the, you know, for the big, huge, abstract, generalized meaning, which by the way, usually happens to be banal. Mm -hmm. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like, you know, those interpretations end up being completely banal and like obvious and things that we already knew. So the whole poem is just, useless essentially right. if it's read that way but but uh, and it's almost i think there is a part of people that wants to and i write about this in the book too that you know a poem like that is a perfect example it's like it's very uncomfortable that poem it's mm-hmm. intimate and it's and it's upsetting and it's 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 very physical and it's like people don't want there's there's a part of us that draws instinctively away from that experience as a as people mm-hmm. and you you know i i understand that but that but i think sometimes people compensate by just trying to make it into some big abstract meaning experience that that takes all the all the life out of it right you know and so you know we want to bring them readers back to the uncomfortable intimacy of an of an actual human statement yes okay matthew hold on two seconds i need to i'm going to get a note from rebecca and then i'll be right back okay Okay, Matthew, I'm sorry, I'm back. Re- Rebecca just wanted to, to point out that today in Austin, it's Hi, How Are You Day. You know, Dan- Daniel Johnston, the Austin artist. and Yeah, yeah. I do. So she wanted to know if you know of his song and album called Frankenstein Love, and if in, that, if in any way that has informed. I don't know if it maybe informed even maybe the art. The, no. The... no, I don't. I, I... I love Daniel Johnston, and I have, and I love his music. I've never heard of that album. Well, it'd be interesting so to ask interesting. the artist. I wonder where that came from. Yeah, maybe the, maybe it informed the piece of art from which you are drawing the it might have. images. It might. Yeah. Um, it might very well have done that. I, I, and I, it's funny because I love Daniel Johnston's music, and 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 I'm a, and a big have been a big fan, but I just didn't know that album existed. Huh. It's hi, how are you? How Day. interesting. But yeah, you might be right. Maybe that's where the that's where the Hi, how are you, Day? Austin. (laughs) Austin. Oh, Austin. I know, right? Okay, so I wonder if you could, I'm going to ask you to just say a couple of words about this James Tate poem, and then I'm going to ask you to read it, and then we will, um, Uh I think we need to get out of the booth anyway, so then, um, so tell me about this poem and why you love it. Well, James Tate was my teacher when I was in graduate school, one of my teachers, um, and he was, you know, a brilliant poet and person. And um, he died a few years ago in 2015. And this is a poem from his 2001 collection, mem- which is called Memoir of the Hawk. And it's actually the final poem in the book. And it's just, you know, it's got uh, Tate kind of has this way of telling a little story in his poems, in his later poems for sure. And then something kind of magical happens somewhere along the way. And I just, I just love this poem so much. And so I thought when you asked me to read a short poem, I thought this would be the one. This is James Tate's poem Rapture from his 2001 collection Memoir of the Hawk. Rapture. If you sit here a long time and are real quiet, you just might get to see one of those blue antelope, I said to Cora. 
I'd do anything to see a blue antelope, she said. I'd take off all my clothes and lie completely still in the grass all day. That's a good idea, I said. Taking off the clothes, I mean. It's more natural. I'd met Cora in the library the night before and had told her about the blue antelope, so we'd made a date to try to see them. We lay naked next to one another for hours. It was a beautiful, sunny day with a breeze that tickled. Finally, Cora whispered into my ear, My God, I see them. They're so delicate, so graceful. They're like angels, cornflower angels. I looked at Cora. She was disappearing. She was becoming one of them. That was so wonderful. That was just, I love the way you read that poem. I really did. It's just a, it's a really fabulous Thanks. poem. Well, and I it's, love him. I love Tate and I love the poem. Yeah, it's a great poem to hear out loud as well. You know, it's a great poem to hear over <laughs> yeah, the radio. Say. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to let you go, Matthew. Thank cool. you so much for talking to us. Good. Yeah, Attend okay, to your I'll sick talk to you boy. Soon. Okay, bye. Thanks. Okay, bye. You can find Frankenstein Love and more great poems by Matthew Zapruder in his collection, Come On All You Ghosts. This Is Just to Say is produced at KUT Radio in Austin, Texas. For KUT, I'm Carrie Fountain. Thanks for listening.